That's why I love the meditation because it's just a taste of health. You say, ah, I've got this. Okay, I can take that little extra step here and I can see that move over there and I've got extra energy over here and da, da, da. So it just starts to piece together a foundation of stepping from one to the next and trusting that it will be there and you will recover and you will rebound and you can see into the future and things are stable because you're breathing in this single moment. Welcome to The Change, where we share stories and inspiration from business leaders and people making positive work-life changes. I'm your host, Adam Baru. As if we as a society weren't already inundated with anxiety and stress before COVID, the persisting pandemic continues to be a cauldron that has the power to amplify our trauma, stress, and anxiety. More than ever, it's important to find the solution to these anxieties within our own bodies and minds. Many high-functioning CEOs, athletes, and others have successfully looked to meditation to qualm those anxieties. The ability to rest the mind is more critical than ever. In our working lives, the stress of going into the office, possibly exposing ourselves to COVID, or having lost our social connections as we continue to work from home, has all made it so that we operate under a rising level of anxiety. Combined with the uncertainty about when this pandemic will ease, it's clearly more important than ever that we turn to proven tools that help keep a sense of balance for ourselves, our families, and society at large. And one of the greatest and oldest tools people have used to calm the mind and body is meditation. A previous guest on our show described how he uses meditation to enable his mind to receive the necessary downloads it needs to expand his knowledge and understanding. By quieting the mind, it puts us in a position to connect with our higher selves and also provides us a greater ability to listen for the answers that already exist within each of us. Here to tell us more about the power of meditation and how it enhances our ability to be at our best is Maris Gebhardt, a thought leader and expert in the field of corporate and individualized meditation. Maris, welcome to The Change. Thank you so much, Adam. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, so happy to have you here. Um, So as I do with all of our guests here on The Change, I'd like to start with your background. If you wouldn't mind telling us where you grew up, what your home family situation was like in your early years. Right, right, right. Well, let's see how well memory serves. Uh, Foreshadowing. Memory (laughs) is a very improved feature of meditation practice. Mm -hmm. All right. So I grew up, uh, started out, I was born in Fresno, California, where my father was doing his uh, medical internship. Okay. Born to my father and my mother. And then we moved to a tiny little town called Lame Deer, Montana. Ah. Uh, My dad liked to... Uh, well, hopefully he wouldn't be upset if I said this. He liked to urinate outdoors. So he liked <laughs> nature and uh, being away from it all. And probably lame there with maybe 300 people population was too big for him at some times. But he <laughs> okay. really got into rural medicine, um, Native American medicine, and smaller towns. We then mm-hmm. moved to Bend, Oregon, where I happen to be sitting today. And my mom started a Montessori school in our home. So we had okay. lots of beautiful young people coming to the house. I was um, a student as well as, you know, an aide in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember taking ballet lessons here in Bend with um, 
Baumgartner, a beautiful ballerina, and her daughter um, in ball, uh, ballet. And then we moved to Hardin, Montana, again, to get away from it all. Um, so he, my dad could hunt, and he liked the outdoors and the wilderness. Both of my parents were born and raised in Oregon. Okay. Um, but they liked the sunshine of Montana, so we continued there. And then... About third grade, my parents uh, divorced, and mm. my mother went west, um, moved to Seattle, where her brother and sister lived. Uh, she's one of eight children, so a big Catholic family. And my dad um, remarried, and then we moved east to Spearfish, South Dakota, where my stepmother was raised and born. Well, I don't know where she was born, but born and raised near there. Okay. And with her family, and so I met a whole new range of friends and people, um, felt a little disruptive to me, uh, because I didn't know anyone there. I didn't have any mom figure that was familiar to me, like any friends, moms or my own mom. Um, but my mom always made great efforts to come see us or bring us out to Seattle for the summers and holidays. And so I got to experience the city and it's thriving, you know, vibrancy mm -hmm. and then the country, um, where it felt a little slow, but also really, um, wholesome um, we lived on a farm and so we ate mostly our own vegetables. My oh, okay, stepmother wow. was a dietitian, so I learned at a very early age, the importance of healthy nutrition and, mm -hmm. um, thinking about our food and the calories and the preservatives and, uh, processed and chemicals. And so I got thinking about that. My mom with the Montessori, I became very aware of learning styles and mm -hmm. how to, um, interpret the world really through our senses and awareness and sharp attention to detail. Um, and also the, um, feeling our way through it too and tuning in. Um, and then my father as a physician, Western trained, um, I learned so much from him about, in fact, he said this and it may have planted way back in my being at an early age, but he said, stress is going to be our biggest killer. Mm. And I must've hooked into that, or maybe it just reemerged in the right time, the right place when I discovered meditation as my profession. But um, he taught us to, you know, uh, work hard, play hard, get outside, um, do your chores, sleep in your own bed, gather as a family for meals, sit down yeah. <laughs> when you eat your meals. Mm -hmm. A lot of very good foundational practices were laid yep. for me early on. Um, so it's always surprising to me when I hear people talking about even food today, like, oh, I'll just have something light for breakfast, something flaky, like a croissant. I'm like, it's rolled in butter. There's nothing probably <laughs> healthy about a croissant, but it sure does taste good. So, you know, we have to live as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're kind of describing my typical breakfasts. Oh, if, no. <laughs> I, if I even get to them, which is unfortunate. Um, and, and shout out to Montessori, because I did Montessori from kindergarten through fifth grade, have great fond memories of it. It was Did you? for me just such a, I think it was really an ideal way for me to, to be, you know, starting out in my education just because it felt really wholesome and connected. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I just absolutely loved it. So if I, if I heard you correctly, so your parents split and you moved back East with your father um, and did I, am I understanding that you would see your mother then kind of the summer times only most, exactly. mostly with your father? Yeah, my father okay. got custody and I should mention too, that I'm the eldest of five children. So there were three of us, my dad remarried, um, in South Dakota, and then they proceeded to have two more, uh, girls who I'm very close with today. I just went up to big sky, Montana and mm -hmm. spent 10 days with my sister, Betsy and helping her take care of her three young children who I adore mm -hmm. to pieces. And then my other sister, Carrie, also in Montana, beautiful, beautiful children, just the, the light of my life. But um, 
So yeah, uh, LSA five, and then I went on from South Dakota to college. Went out to University of Portland, where my parents actually met. <laughs> okay. And then proceeded to do nursing. Um, didn't pass pharmacology, ironically, which is the most beautiful blessing in disguise. And so mm-hmm. I proceeded to go on with allied health sciences, which is really a triplicate minor, minor, triple minor. Okay. And so I was studying psychology, um, f- uh, physical therapy and biology. So it really piqued my interest. It laid a solid foundation for me to go on and continue exploring on my own, the workings of the mind, the workings of the body. Um, and so I got into yoga about 23 years ago. Um, I was living in Boston and nine 11 hit. (laughs) And a friend of mine said, Hey, come to this yoga studio with me. So there, the practice was born. I was like, wow, this is not quite ballet. It's not quite running. It's not quite gymnastics. All of the three, which I have done it, but it was everything and more. So it really combined that intensity, the mental engagement, the um, exploration and movement of the body and the benefits, which I didn't really know about because in the beginning in our Western practice, right, it's all about how good will I look in these yoga pants. And so I felt <laughs> okay. um, prey to that and later discovered and now I discover my own practice and um, it's as strong as ever um, but oh, great. more tuned in and deliberate and intentional so yeah. I went way off on a tangent there but that's a fast no that's way. totally fine we're definitely going to get to all that but I want to okay. I want to keep us um, in your early years uh, you Perfect. shared with me that you grew up and you just stated this a few moments ago um, uh, but the way you stated it to me is you grew up in a medical household that didn't believe much in medication but rather in preventive measures for good health. And so um, let's, I'd like to hear you elaborate on how that early experience really cultivated that, um, you know, within you, that practice of alternative healing. Mm-hmm. So we would go to the cabin often as a family and the cabin meant leaving your friends, no television, um, wearing your grubby clothes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and walking down to the river to get your water so that you could cook with it and then wash the dishes with it. Wow. Going okay. to the cabin meant using an outhouse in the middle of the night if you had to go. Mm-hmm. So we really were living a rustic, um, connected to the earth experience. You know, it wasn't that often. Maybe every couple of months we'd get away for the weekend and go to the cabin in Wyoming. Yeah. Um, so this really instilled, and my parents, and until my dad died, um, he... They went to the cabin all the time to get away from it all, if you will. And today yeah. we call that off the grid. But it was a place to connect with nature, to breathe, to not be attached to um, consumption, shopping and digital yeah. and media. And um, even the interaction with friends, you know, you learn to become very uh, independent and you're the sole provider of your entertainment, your soothing, your Um, interest, your inspiration, like it's up to you to create this. And what we really learned, and I only can now see it looking back, um, is that there is so much available to us if we just open our eyes and open our noses. And my dad had a thing like to listen to the trees. They spoke Mm -hmm. to him. And so, so much can come in if we only, and now I love saying it in my practices, like let the other stuff settle so that your other senses can expand instead of crowding out with mm-hmm. so much noise and visual input and you know oral consumption and whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, our senses are just you know I don't think we practice all of our senses to the full extent. And you know I live in Southern California, mm-hmm. and um, you know just everything you described 
are things that I've struggled with, you know, with the way that I've wanted to parent my children, mm-hmm. um, seeing him grow up here in Southern California. It's, it's really hard to get away from people everywhere mm-hmm. you go. There's going to be a million people mm-hmm. now. Yes, there are places to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you have to like drive far away to get there sometimes. Um, and there's just so much noise everywhere you go. There's traffic noise. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just to share a little bit more personally, like, uh, I'm, I grew up in the San Francisco area. I spent a lot of time in the Redwoods up there growing up. Yes. Um, I was very fortunate to have gone to schools and be involved in programs that really did bring us out into the Redwoods a lot for camping. Um, you know, one of the early memories I have, we were with the other you know group of, of students in my seventh grade class. And we went to the Marin Headlands, which is just my absolute favorite place in the world. And um, our hike leader did this little exercise with us where we all gathered as a group. And then she, there were two instructors um, or hike leaders, and one of them went, went off ahead. And then every five minutes, she would release one student at a time. And so we would basically walk oh. by ourselves uh-huh. for about 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. And I remember being scared, but I remember the senses. My All of a sudden, all of my senses opened up. I was aware of every noise, of everything, the smells. I could still, anytime I'm in like a riparian creek habitat right. and I smell that smell, it brings me right back to that time. So, you know, that upbringing that you had, it's just, it's so great for kids. And it's mm-hmm. it's something that I struggle with, like how... How, what more can I do to inject that into my own kids' experience yeah. growing up? Uh, we've, my wife and I have talked about getting a cabin like up in the Big Sur area uh-huh. and just going there to get off the grid, like you said, from time uh-huh. to time. It's, it's so great for kids. Um, something you just said there, it made me think about because, and this week, ironically, our subject is about uh, be not afraid. And so we have so much fear that's just kind of in us and we're in constant hypervigilant mode, especially in this climate of our world and digital and everything else I don't need to name. (laughs) But um, when we go into the woods and when you are separated from your people and exploring and having that element of fear, and then all of a sudden that little shift where you're like, wow, I can hear things. You can now have access to your faculties and they can warn you of threats that are real. They, your smells will warn you of danger. You, we have such, our, our human body is such an incredible uh, device tool uh, machine that we find a way to not lean into fear we realize we can set that burden down and now thrive because we can take in all of our environment mm-hmm. and, and be more human so um, we don't know how much fear we're living in until we realize how confident and strong and, and, and access to resources that we have yeah and I think it was such a great experience for us too to actually have that fear and then learn that we can control it and actually have a good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it, it just teaches kids to, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, times have changed a little bit where, you know, I have two older kids who are adults now and two younger kids. And, you know, I, I have noticed with them and and with a lot of kids that there is more of a fear to just go outside and and play and just be free. Right. And we have to be careful to not take that growth experience away from yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's so critical all right so you also stated to me that um 
by nature, you, you kind of are a stressed and anxious person. You went on to say how this led you to developing a sense of hyper-awareness, kind of the same topic that we were just discussing. So, you know, I, I have found that a common attribute among healers is a well-developed sense of self-awareness. So tell us how this relates to your own experience. I might just go backwards into this one because when people come to me as private clients, I feel that there's nothing that will surprise me, alarm me, be too scary for me to work with. Um, Not to say that I have experienced all those things, but I think that I've since developed such a sense of security and safety and constancy and stability in my own being that I can be present for another to tap into those prickly, sharp, scary spaces of their own. Yeah. Um, I think therapists have to work really hard at not absorbing all the trauma from their clients. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm that kind of a professional, but I do really speak to uh, this when I'm guiding meditation to wherever anyone might be on their journey in that range of tapping into their emotions, their experiences, their interpretations, whatever is coming up for them. So I try to really, um, I don't say be raw, but allow someone else to be raw and uh, have a safe space. They're not on the spot mm-hmm. and it's not muted. Yeah, it's that that safe space, that safety is is really important. Mm-hmm. All right, so I want to I want to do a little bit of a fast forward here. Um, and okay. you you were you were getting into this a little bit earlier. So you know, moving into your adult years, um, and about your work history. So I understand you didn't start out your career focusing on meditation and these practices or yoga, um, and that you worked for several years in software sales. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, describe that experience and and then the ultimate kind of path that led you to um your calling as like a healer uh meditation expert mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so having been raised in a family that is like as you mentioned kind of a medical family so my uh grandfather was a physician lots of nurses and doctors in my family so um therefore i was always aware of the body and the healing arts and in fact i think my dad's clinic was called medical healing arts interesting he mm-hmm. had a clinic in south dakota But so when I went to university, uh, I was planning to become a nurse and University of Portland, one of the foundational tenets of the university is service. And so we were always focused on service. And um, so nursing felt like exact right fit. I want to be a traveling nurse. But then I got into the nursing and discovered you're just really working with sick people and you have to deal with a lot of drugs. And this was completely divergent from my own core beliefs. So, um, yes, definitely into preventive medicine, as mentioned, getting good sleep, eating good food, exercising proactively, um, being outside. So doing all the foundational practices. So um, nursing kind of kicked me out, which I am today forever grateful for. Um, But it did lay a foundation for me to begin really exploring how do we optimize this being. So not being in survival mode so much, but aiming towards thriving. Mm but I completed my degree and actually before I completed my degree, I thought about work for the summer. Um, and so I reached out to some people I knew who worked at an investment company mm-hmm. and one thing led to another. And before you know it, I'm there eight years. So <laughs> more, <laughs> yep. more like six, actually I was there six. So I was there for a year, um, my final senior year and then about five or six more years after that. So 
I really got into investment um, thinking and markets, and um, I was in the marketing department at this investment company. So I learned about presentations and putting mm-hmm. numbers together, um, telling a story, answering RFPs, so lots of writing, technical yeah. writing. But then at my final six months at the company, I was tasked with teaching people at the company um, a certain software tool that we were going to implement. Okay. So that turned my dial and took put, put down another road about software consulting. So I left this company in Portland. I moved to Boston. I, after a couple of interval jobs, I got a great job with Standard & Poor's, so mm-hmm. S&P. And so I was working in the financial industry with software. So I was going around to clients, helping them um, build formulas for their portfolios. Anyway, I got a great offer with a Norwegian search technology company. And so I went and worked for them. And then I got laid off because of 9-11, discovered yoga, but I always had that backup plan as, you know, software sales. So I just kind of moved through that. Always had yoga on the side, was beginning to explore this, didn't want to become a yoga teacher as a professional full time. So I kept the the money, right? The attachment to security, that bigger paycheck. Um, supposedly was supposed to make me feel better, but I always kept this open ear to the yoga and the meditation and the lifestyle. And twenty years later, I'm still selling software. I've been laid off now three or four times from different software sales jobs. So the whole universe mm-hmm. was trying to tell me, stop this madness. Yeah. Go to your calling. It is what the world needs. It's what you love. And you happen to be good at it. Now, I hope that doesn't sound so boastful. I'm just trying to be humble with this gift that I've been given and um, use in the best possible way. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to talk about this time more about when you realized that the direction you wanted to take your life um, was moving now towards the yoga practice, the meditation, the Ayurveda. Yeah. Um, you shared with me that part of this journey to your, your discovery was the experience of some bad relationships. So uh-huh. would you would you mind sharing a little bit more about, you know, how these bad relationships led further to this um, path to being a yoga meditation Ayurveda practitioner? Yes, I could sing a whole bunch of country songs right now and um, <laughs> piece that story together. But we all know the deal. Um, we kind of enter troublesome situations so that we can grow. And I did. And so I was in a very trying relationship. Um, it, it really felt familiar because I had so much anxiety. So I'm like, oh, this is meeting me where I am. And so I needed to address that. And at some point in there, I realized, no, this is no longer teaching me. This is now harming me. And so I made that shift. I leaned into meditation. I went there for my safe space. Um, I knew I was not going to go towards medication. I had tried that. And it did not help with the anxiety. It simply turned my brain into hamburger mush. Mm -hmm. And that was not for me. Um, So I don't judge, but I'm just sharing my story. Mm -hmm. And that was not for me. And so I came out the other side of that fully on in meditation, purifying my diet, purifying what I put into my mind, purifying the people I put myself around. And when you focus on the core goal and the filling up of goodness, then the negativity just naturally sloughs away. It took me a long time to get there. Mm. I thought I had to actively rip off the Band-Aid or chop off my arm to get rid of this negative relationship. But instead, I moved towards positivity, filled in with good things, and then it no longer looked interesting. Yeah, Um, so I think you've touched on it a little bit, but um, I'd like to dive deeper, like specifically, how has meditation helped you personally? Yeah, 
So at really the low point, it's very clear to me um, in that relationship, I was um, overhearing my guy having a conversation with his brother about all these negative things about me. They didn't know mm. I could hear them, and I kept listening, uh, right, because I just had to find out how bad I was. And wow. I went back to my bedroom and got in bed, and I was just crying so hard and clawing at the sheets. I'm like, when is this going to be okay? Maybe I can just make it go away, and it'll all be over, and life will be better if I just am not here anymore. Like, it was a very critical moment yeah. in the turning in my journey. So I breathed. I saw myself from above and I realized, yeah, no, <laughs> you are good. It's just the home you're in at this moment is not. Mm. So I recognized that. Thank goodness I had um, a beautiful, loving, I mean, I had struggles in my childhood, but I knew people loved me. I knew they valued yeah. me. They told me I was valuable. So I leaned into that, even though I didn't feel it within and just started chipping away at step-by-step, step, getting away, getting away, getting away, getting out of the situation and yes, I went back a couple times, but ultimately I knew better. I was having that dialogue. I was setting my um, surroundings and my framework and my um, people, my environment, support network really super strong um, and just kind of kept going on that. And you yeah. do, you get very strong inside and we don't realize how much we have until we're tested. Absolutely. Um, I've shared on this podcast and on others um, how, you know, for me in my own journey, there's been this dialogue of negative self-talk for so many years. And it's it's interesting how easy it is for the mind to go there, but we can be in front of that. We can control it. I, I've, you know, I'm not perfect. I still kind of go there sometimes, but uh you know, I think I get ahead of it a little bit more by just doing all the other things that I know mm -hmm. contribute to a greater sense of well-being. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can taste it when you're sick. For example, you have no energy. How will I ever get out of this feeling? How will I ever wash my hair again or whatever? You know, you just feel completely drained. And yeah. we know that negative emotions impact our actual physical energy level. So... Um, that's why I love the meditation because it's just a taste of health. You say, ah, I've got this. Okay. I can take that little extra step here and I can see that move over there and I've got extra energy over here and da, da, da. So it just starts to piece together a foundation of stepping from one to the next and trusting that it will be there and you will recover and you will rebound and you can see into the future and things are stable because you're breathing in this single moment. Uh, it just begins to unfold and yeah. Absolutely. So yesterday I, I released an episode um, with a guest um, by the name of Seth Lyon and we spoke about the nervous system yeah. and about, you know, the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, the flight, mm -hmm. fight, freeze responses. And so, you know, kind of what I'm hearing, what I, what I think meditation does for us is it triggers that parasympathetic you know, response of your nervous system branch that just calms everything. Mm -hmm. It just brings everything into focus. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's the place where you're, you are going to have that connection to your higher self. You're mm -hmm. going to be connected to, you know, answers that, like I said, in the intro to this episode, the answers are there, but mm -hmm. we sometimes often don't know how to get to them because we're not in a state of being with our nervous system to connect with that. Right. 
Yes, you're bringing up a really good point because much like, you know, in Bernoulli's principle of lift, birds don't know the science behind flight, but they fly and they know how to fly and they benefit from the flying. And so the same is true with us. When we breathe, we massage the vagus nerve, which travels through the diaphragm, which is why it's being massaged because the up and down movement of this diaphragm, massage Mm -hmm. the vagus nerve, which then puts us into parasympathetic nervous system state. And that's the calming. Um, The other thing too, which is so very valuable is the importance of a healthy gut. And we have more um, serotonin produced in the gut than we do in the brain. And these are the happy mood hormones and neurotransmitters. So very important to have this state of rest when you digest. Yes. <laughs> Stress kills out that normal flora and the, the bacteria and the gut microbiome that helps us to digest properly and absorb the nutrition and to continue producing the happy hormones and neurotransmitters. Absolutely. So how do you, with your, um, with your personal practice, how do you continue to deepen um, your practice in your own life and, and then also guide students accordingly? Yeah. One of my favorite things is to walk and to listen to a podcast at that time. I have some of my favorite go-tos. I'll give shout outs. I've never met them, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. one day maybe it'd be a dream come true. Um, Dr. Mark Hyman, functional medicine out of Cleveland Clinic and his partner, colleague, um, not a doctor, but very smart, intelligent and um, uh, Drew Perowit. And he has a podcast called The Broken Brain, and they explore everything that has to do with brain function and the health of the brain and optimizing the brain. And they definitely get into lifestyle and immunology and hormonal balance and um, focus and lifestyle practices. So um, he has incredibly talented guests on the show, and I'm always learning something from him. So that's one of my all-time favorite things to do is take my evening walk and listen to a podcast with Drew Perowitz. So thank you, Drew. And then, of course, I have my morning exercise routine. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have gotten into Ayurveda through all the years of yoga practice. So this is an okay. ancient Indian medicine of life. Um, so many rhythmic practices through Ayurveda, tuning into our system. So basically starting the day with these practices by the night before, mm-hmm. going to bed at a consistent time. Waking yep. up, having some healthy fluids to flush the organs, getting some movement in, and then I sit in my meditation. And that's where I communicate with myself. I let all the noise that's happening, all the thoughts, all the emotions that are coming around and I'm not paying attention to, to finally air out and oxidize. And once I acknowledge them, then they can be dispensed of and hopefully not bother me um, too much again. Yeah. But, you know, we have repeating patterns, of course. Yes, we do. Um, so, yeah, that's my meditation practice, um, getting to bed, and then definitely journaling before bed. Yes. Yeah, I, I like everything you just described um, are things that I aspire to do. I do some of them, the journaling, the, the trying to go to bed at a consistent time, and it, it's definitely Dry brushing, for me. scraping. I mean, Adam, let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to get into some of the techniques. So do you have, are there specific techniques with meditation that you generally go to um, or, or just describe what your, what your techniques are that you generally practice. Yeah. So the brain is designed to think and, or, or it wants to do something. Um, so I do really love some healing mantra chanting. Um, I was initiated when I lived in New York city with a mantra from a Hindu guru from the Vedanta practice. 
But um, that's a mantra that I just repeat to myself silently sometimes. Okay. But the healing mantras in the morning, um, I like to do, and they all have sort of a focus, whether it's compassion or joy and bliss or um, non-attachment or perfection, purification. So all these different energies and where they vibrate in your body. Um, I love doing those, but I also really, with all the years of yoga, lean into the physical grounding um, in the meditation practice because I'm vata in the Ayurvedic system. Mm-hmm. And so a very windy movement, light, agitated, um, mentally active. I was almost going to say disturbed, and I probably have been mentally disturbed at some times. <laughs> um, but we all are at some level. And so um, I really anchor into the body. So. Mm-hmm feeling grounded, letting my belly soften, my shoulders soften, the jaw tension relaxing, the eye movement, which is directly tethered to the activity of the mind. I'm letting the eyes come into a gentle lull and rest. So yeah, very much a physical, um, I'm not, I end up doing it body scan sort of guidance, but I'm not a big fan of body scan because I feel like it's really sterile. And when you do body scan, you're just meant to notice. So this is where I probably deviate from official mindfulness. The definition of mindfulness is to pay attention on purpose in a particular way without judgment. Um, John Kabat-Zinn with his MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. I'm a huge fan of him. He's an incredible orator, speaker, researcher, provider of knowledge and wisdom. Incredible man. Um, He rolled out mindfulness a few decades, four decades ago maybe in the U.S., But anyway, so I, as a yoga teacher, I love the mindfulness. I've explored that. I know the science. I've studied it. I've taught it. Um, But for myself, where I take my students is to actually offer um, a transformation. So where mindfulness might end, I kind of go further. So mindfulness will ask you, notice the sensation in your big toe. And as a yoga teacher and someone who's looking to transform and change and grow and evolve... I will say, notice the sensation in your big toe and now allow it to open, release, feel the um, vitality thrumming into this big toe, right? So tuning into our energy and even calling it out, calling it up. So a previous guest on this show, um, as I alluded to in the intro, uh, by the name of Brandon Cooper, described how he uses meditation in his own practice to enable him to be a better leader. He mentioned how when he practices meditation, it opens up his mind such that it's better equipped to receive the necessary downloads, as he called it, mm-hmm. um, that help him connect with his higher self. So mm-hmm. what do you what do you think is at play here with these downloads and how meditation opens the door for Cooper in this way? Yeah. So I was raised Catholic. I've spent a lot of time in church, sometimes paying attention, sometimes spacing out and seeing what happens. Um, I also listened to a really great speaker one time and he taught us this phrase and it's very much stuck with me. And he says, the classroom of silence. So when we go quiet, this is when things get loud. Um, But what I find is that during the meditation, I'm having all these memories, like what my sister said to me when I was 12 and what outfit am I going to wear tomorrow? And I can't believe this happened over there. So lots of current noise, lots of historical noise. But when I'm finished with the meditation and I'm doing my normal day, 
I might have a little question or confusion or problem I need to solve. And all of a sudden the phrase just comes rolling out. Right. Because I've spent that time cleaning house, if you will, from history and current, that everything's accessible. There's not so much blockage or interference. And now the words come, the wisdom comes, the clarity comes. Yep. So yes, he's totally right. So much comes to us, maybe not at the moment on the cushion, but definitely we are in tune with so much more. Our awareness is bright, and so we're making connections in our world, and they begin to create a cohesive story with answers. When we come back, Maris will discuss her corporate meditation work and how her dedication to her practice has helped open her heart to love. Stay with us. I'm Adam Baril, and you're listening to The Change from EIQ Media. Check out our newest podcast, How I Made It Through, Now available from EIQ Media and hosted by Kristen Taylor. Have you ever faced something so jarring, so overwhelming, and seemingly so hopeless that all you thought was, how will I ever get through this? Hi, this is Kristen Taylor, host of How I Made It Through, my new podcast that shares stories of ordinary people who've navigated some not-so-ordinary circumstances. When life throws heavy blows, we only truly make it through when we are truly willing to go through all of it, feeling it, and being transformed by it. The stories shared will enthrall and inspire you. They may even provide the roadmap you've been searching for. Welcome back to The Change. I'm Adam Baru. We were discussing how meditation opens our minds to knowledge and information we may typically not have access to. When we're super busy with work or with our families, it can be difficult to prioritize our mental needs, but programs exist within thoughtful companies to find that time for reflection within our workday. Today you work with corporations and uh, their employee wellness programs, um, if I'm not mistaken. So can you describe how this works, what the sessions are like? Excellent, Adam. So glad you asked. Yes. So back April 1st, I designed a corporate uh, virtual meditation studio. And the model is as follows. So corporations subscribe. They avail these sessions to their entire company. And we offer 10 live group sessions every week. So they can go on, find the times that work for them and Mm -hmm. attend these 25 minute sessions that are group. So you may be in session with one, you know, several other people from different companies um, and individuals who are subscribing to the platform. 
Uh, so yeah, it fits in very nicely, especially 2022 when I'm reading about what companies are doing, uh, if they intend to be companies that thrive, they are offering wellness programs. And the number one offering on the wellness program list is mindfulness and meditation. So every day, every podcast I listen to, regardless of the focus, every article, every expert I'm listening to people who have been in my past and come up and are, you know, having great success in their lives. I listen to what they're doing. They all have been advised to meditate and, or are meditating. So it's, it's real, it's here and it's lasting. Yeah. All right. So if companies wanted to find out more about your, your program and the work that you do, where can they find you? Yep. They can go to opulentmindfulness.com. We have all kinds of um, contact information in there, some testimonials, um, a bit more about the program and the subscriptions and then certainly feel free to email me directly, maris at opulentmindfulness.com. Um, please call, text. I'm happy to talk anytime, <laughs> 503-756-3622. And you're absolutely welcome to attend um, a couple live sessions to get a feel for it and see if it speaks to you. Um, I had a really wise uh, leader, mentor of mine say, if what I say doesn't resonate with you, then that's okay. But only take what I say that makes sense to you and feels like a truth to you. Um, so I was alluding to uh, my most recent episode with Seth Lyon earlier. Yes. Um, he's a somatic healing expert and we discussed, and you were just kind of alluding it to it with, you know, companies that really are the ones that are going to be thriving in 2022. And mm-hmm. so we discussed this, there's like a healing revolution. He called it that that's taking place. It's building momentum. So what do you attribute this healing revolution to? Well, Sickness. <laughs> so until we have problems, we often don't want to solve them. Um, so in this preventive, proactive, we've all been crushed down to our lowest. Um, as they say, from the manure or the mud, the lotus flower grows and blooms. So yeah, we've all been dou- dou- delivered, doused in, in luck. <laughs> And so now it's our chance to take that muck and make it into nutrients and do something with it. Um, I think that's what we see in these, in these become great, you know, movements that go one way and then they go the other way and then they come right. back at like a pendulum swinging yep. into the middle where it becomes a constant steady um, majority of the people are doing it and it's all around us. For sure. All right. So I want to circle back to an earlier um, part of our conversation. You described how, you know, you discovered your, your calling as a healer through the bad relationships. Um, but you also shared with me that your relationships are now better because you feel better within. So, you know, we've discussed the power of meditation, how it improves your inner well-being, your relationships. So would you mind sharing how that is facilitating your ability to love today? Are you in a relationship Yeah, great question. I am in a relationship and I just had a fantastic holiday with my family in Montana. My stepmom and two sisters and their families and children. And I attribute these improved relationships to me feeling very much anchored within. So I communicate with my own self. What am I experiencing? What am I feeling in this moment? And in my meditation, it's my free range to be exactly who I am, candid with myself, good, bad, and ugly. Right. Um, and so I count on myself to be my own best therapist. Um, I am not counting on anyone else's validation of me. 
I've decided that others' opinion of me is none of my business. Um, and so I'm not swinging high and low at the behest of someone else's value they place on me. It's my own value. And I feel so, so, so grateful just to have discovered uh, meditation and yoga as a profession and um, something that I believe in and feel that I'm good at because I no longer have to doubt myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a massive I can't even begin to put words to that, how grateful I am to have discovered this thing where I don't doubt myself and it's so anchoring. And so I'm not subject to, oh, maybe this person over here is right or this person's right or this is my new identity or this is my new calling or what. It's so clear, so solid, so steady, never boring, forever will be providing um, intellectual curiosity for me for the rest of my life. And it makes my heart just sing when I get to see people also light up and make this discovery within. So, Yeah, I, I love to hear that. Mm-hmm. All right, so I understand you're planning an extended trip to Italy, a, a place well-known for romance and love. And ah! in, fact, in fact, my wife and I were married in a small village in eastern Tuscany called Poppy. So mm-hmm. it has a major romantic role for me. So tell us about this trip to Italy. Yeah, so I was just there for two months and I did fall in love with the country and a man. So I am planning to go back in uh, the region called Umbria, which is just south of Tuscany, and it's landlocked, and they call it the green heart of Italy. And my original intention for going to Italy was to explore um, the lifestyle. Could I live here? Not, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm just going to go quickly learn some cooking or language or even meet somebody. Um, But I just want to see, could I live here? Because I really, really value their approach to food and access to Um, food and the resource um, close to the food source. And so the quality and, you know, their list of no-nos in their country is so much longer in Europe Mm -hmm. as a whole um, than our list of no-nos here in the U S. So what we get away with in our products and our food is (sighs) breathtaking. (laughs) And so I really want to go there and and do that. But um, I just feel alive there. The sun, the light is amazing. Being Mm -hmm. the verdant greens, the the vitality, the food, the green, uh, the hiking, it's just incredible all around. And the hospitality and the kindness and the the curiosity of people to have a little bit more of a playful uh, approach to things. They're very serious and, you know, very bureaucratic and very much uh, rule followers, but also, extremely caring and and curious and kind and helpful. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, my wife and I had just amazing experiences there with people that were just the warmest. Um, yeah. the life there is beautiful and very honest, right. And they're curious about you and what do you want? What do you like? So I find that I have a hard time answering their questions cause I haven't really, you know, wh- what do I like? Yeah. <laughs> what do I want? <laughs> So yeah, yeah, it keeps you really in tune with what do I like? What do I want? So it really forces you to step up to uh, go deep. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, Maris, thank you so much for being a guest today on our show. It's been a pleasure to hear your story and, and to learn about the benefits and importance of practicing meditation. Well, Adam, you're an incredible um, listener and great question asker. So I appreciate you going, allowing me to be candid and open and honest. And I hope people benefited on some level for sure. Yeah, thank you so much. Drawing on 22 plus years of yoga, Ayurveda, psychology, philosophy, professional experience, and having struggled with her own bouts of anxiety, Maris Gebhardt is a highly regarded and prolific teacher, thought leader, and expert in the field of corporate and individualized meditation. 
accepting, and inviting new clients from around the world, Maris's style melds highest level thinking with deepest level somatic integration, a truly bespoke level of meditation leadership that you simply will not find anywhere else in the world. Guiding from informed intuition, no two sessions are alike, and each is channeled from a divine source of wisdom to best serve your highest need. You can find more about Maris on our website, eiqmediallc.com slash the change, as well as her website, www.opulentmindfulness.com. Our theme song and sound engineering was provided by Shane Sufridi. You can listen to more of Shane's music at www.shanesufridi.com. If you have a story about meditation, yoga, or how you've kept balanced during the past two years, or if you want to tell us what you think about our podcast, send me an email at thechange at eiqmediallc.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on The Change. The Change is produced and distributed by EIQ Media LLC. Elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on leadership, mental health, entrepreneurship, and more.